Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, October 28th, 2020. Six days until the until Election Day comes and goes. I am John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, a very tired-looking Noah Rothman, the associate editor. Hi, Noah. I'm, hi, John. I don't feel so tired, but... I'm sorry. You're, you're incepting tiredness. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I would say not all that perky, uh, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Not, not looking very perky. I think that's accurate. Hi, John. Okay. Okay. But, uh, but, but I would say a spirited and uh, lively and optimistic uh, senior writer, Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Highly caffeinated. Hi, John. Highly caffeinated. Good. Okay. Um, so, um, in the latest uh, version of uh, Blame Trump for Everything Possible, uh, he had a rally last night in Nebraska where apparently it was very cold and people were bused to the rally uh, at a stadium. And then people had to wait a long time for buses to come to get them from the stadium. And eight old people got hypothermia. And evidently now hypothermia is like COVID, like it's a super spreader event if people go out in mid-October or late October in Nebraska to a rally and they're not properly dressed and they get hypothermia. This is something else for which Trump should be blamed. Like he's running the bus service to and from the stadium. Uh, the, the degree, to, the degree to which these storylines uh, are laid out so that, you know, a, uh, there is a contagious virus and people uh, are irresponsible about it in the white house then somehow translates into people who get, something that could have happened at any political event or any concert anywhere at any time in the history of mankind. And, 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 and literally reporters from major mainstream media outlets are like scratching their head, you know, reporting on it and, you know, doing updates and all of that. It has too much potential for, it has too much metaphoric value for reporters not to capitalize on it. Who are by who are gen, generally predisposed to report on anecdotes and build out the anecdote into some sort of a story that you can buttress with statistics. That's that's you know how you how you write a story these days, a news story. So the fact that it has this much you know metaphoric value of Donald Trump abandoning his supporters is just too tempting for the political press to ignore. Even though, as you said, this happens every cycle. Including to reporters. I mean, I remember past cycles where reporters are like, you know, they're kept in a pen before the principal can leave the event, and they, you know, they're freezing. Well, there's also October. there's also this um, kind of idea now that that the media is running with that's that is similarly too delicious to them, which is that the the campaign is kind of jinxed now. You know that it it this cloud follows it around, and bad things happen to it, and people associated with it get arrested or take ill, or you know, so. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, I would say, uh, judging from social media, that there is a bit of a shift in the last 24 hours, and indeed, I think in general conversation in the last 24 hours, uh, toward um, a kind of uh, growing sense of panic that uh, they wish the election were had been put away, and they don't think that it's been put away, and they don't really know why they don't think that it's been put away because as all the the very things that made them think that Biden had it in the bag are pretty much as they were two or three weeks ago. He's at, you know, uh, somewhere between seven and a half and nine up in the national numbers. He is ahead in every actual battleground state. 
uh, that uh, there were polls this morning that uh, Biden is ahead by 17 in Wisconsin. Now, that's probably an outlier. There will be an, another poll. The, the more respected Wisconsin poll is going to come out later this afternoon. We'll see where that is. But Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and um, and Michigan are all outside the margin of error uh, in the poll averages for uh, for Biden, um, and they're particularly outside the margin of error if you were to take out the um, suspiciously the suspiciously pro-Trump polls, like the ones done for American greatness by insider advantage that seem to have literally no internals, like, or, you know, literally no description of how they're doing it. They don't tell you anything like Trafalgar and all of that. So th- those those are pushing the poll averages closer to Trump, but not so close to Trump that... So the m- point I'm trying to make is that people are getting uh, uh, crazy. They're, they're, they're crazed and they're getting crazy and they're terrified. Liberals are terrified that they have been handed the bill of goods once again by the people they want to believe are telling them that the race is over. But I think, and I think there, we have another uh, example of that just from the last uh, 24 hours, which is the reason they're focused so much on potential hypothermia victims uh, who might, might or might not include like five people. Um, they completely ignored last night, substantial rioting and looting in several American cities, most notably in Philadelphia. Um, and I think that's another sign of the, of the suspension of reality that I think the media is going to continue to be in for the next six days, where anything that could potentially harm or be seen to harm Biden's chances is going to get very little coverage. Um, and, right. and well, even- I need to read right. I need to read out um, an important tweet by Eric Lipton, who is um, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble getting to it. Eric Lipton is an investigative reporter with the New York Times, and um, he this morning. So uh, yesterday in Philadelphia, 30 cops were injured by cars driving into them. Um, we've had a Walmart destroyed. We've had a dollar store destroyed. We've had some other business uh, completely destroyed. Numerous small businesses looted and destroyed. Right. Yes. And here is Eric Lipton's quote. Um, Watching my Twitter feed since last night, very notable the intensity of tweets from conservative voices looking to amplify, draw attention to looting in Philadelphia. Yes, it happened. NYT covered it as well. Just remarkable how conservatives want to elevate it. Just remarkable how conservatives want to elevate it. So uh, the fourth largest city in the United States has massive property destruction after the, uh, after the assertion of a narrative in which uh, cops have a, uh, a deranged man running at them with a knife. They shoot him. People on the street start talking about how the cops should have used a taser or shot him in the leg there's rioting in Philadelphia. There's rioting in Brooklyn. There is rioting in Los Angeles. And conservatives are elevating this story. You know what? Conservative journalists are the only ones on the ground risking their own lives to live stream and film and cover this, too, I would add. I mean, a daily co- I think the Daily Caller reporter got smacked in the face. And, you know, here in D.C., there were a couple of people who were trying to live stream uh, some of the attacks we had on a local police district. Um, and I do think, look, the, 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 the reason we actually need 
coverage of these events is to explain them to the people who live in these cities or care about uh, law enforcement. So what you had in Philly, I think, was uh, you had protests going on in one part of the city that then in the other parts of the city, people took advantage of the lack of a police presence to then loot. Um, and, and so stuff was going on all over the city. They were clearly outnumbered. Similar thing happened here in D.C. Uh, months ago. So th- that's actually and then there's there were some rumors about whether or not the governor had called up the National Guard, but there were no National Guard troops seen in Philly. So, you know, Philadelphia had a lot of uh, unrest earlier, right after the George Floyd uh, episode, which people seem to have conveniently forgotten. But for a mainstream media reporter with the clout of The New York Times behind him, to suggest that this is some sort of conservative social media conspiracy is offensive. It's offensive. I, well, I would add that it's, it's it's a little unfair to say only conservative journalists are on the ground here. To the extent that I've seen any footage of this, it is from local media outlets, local, yeah, exactly. news, local CBS. They are on the ground. They're doing the reporting um, and valuable reporting. Um, Lipton's admission here is obviously one that you know gives away the game, the notion here that if there's a certain a lack of saturation coverage of these events, and only conservatives are, are covering it. The indictment isn't of conservatives, right? Right. right. <laughs> it's of, but, it's of but pure fellows. But even but, the. But this is, is is of a part with the reticence to report the emails from um, that Hunter were Biden. as a result of yeah this investigation. Right. But I, I will say even- the Hunter Biden emails where they admitted out tacitly, if not outright, that coverage of this is something that could affect the national race and affecting the national race is the direct is, is, you know, avoiding affecting the the national race is the prime directive. But um, I think unlike the Hunter Biden emails in this case, um, the what's, what's at stake is the Pennsylvania vote, which um, cannot be any change in that cannot be insulated against by a national media here. If you're in Pennsylvania, you know what's going on there. Well, you well, only know what's going on if the local media are covering okay, and, it. And, and then I think you have this question of whether or not this pressure from the national media causes the local media to lighten up. Well, uh, there's an example of that. There's an example that there's a local media reporter whose first tweet about the, the officer involved shooting of this man wielding the knife didn't, mentioned the fact that the guy had charged the cops with a knife. I mean, which is a very important detail. And she sent out a tweet that got a lot of play on social media and that could be said to have encouraged some of the, or, you know, encouraged some of the, the very strong reaction that immediately happened. Then she had a clarifying tweet, which almost nobody retweeted, which said, Oh, I, I might have forgotten to mention this guy was like, basically refused to drop a knife after multiple attempts by the police to tell him to do so. And then charge him. And look, Anyone who's trained in law enforcement or in self-defense knows you have extremely limited time if someone comes at you with a knife in their hand to safely disarm them. It is a much quicker and much more dangerous situation than most people understand. So this idea that, oh, you just tase him. There's been an officer who was stabbed in the neck by after tasing someone who had a knife in his hand. There have been multiple incidents and training. In front, They train that way for a reason. In front of my sister's apartment building in Jerusalem in the late 1980s, I think it was the late 1980s, a, a Palestinian terrorist ran at a cop who shot him in both legs. Cop was on the ground for some reason. I don't remember the details. Shot him in both legs. And the guy stabbed the cop to death after he was shot. That is the kind of thing that happens. Like, you know, a bullet isn't some sort of magical 
preventative. I mean, obvious, you know, when somebody is adrenalized and, and crazed, it doesn't, you know, I mean, think about, you know, the Rasputin story, you know, like Rasputin is poisoned and stabbed and all of this, and he still, you know, charges people. You don't know what the circumstances are. And again, I will say for the 75,000th time on the show, cops are taught and trained to shoot the trunk of the body in order to minimize the possible innocent bystander damage from a bullet that goes astray. And they it's not that they are shooting to kill, they are shooting the largest part of the body in order to immobilize uh, the person who is charging them. And yeah, a very limited amount of time. And if someone is hepped up on something and is out of their minds, a bullet isn't necessarily going to stop them. So... Uh, we are, this is a very weird moment that we are in. And this is this question. So that was the first thing, the local reporter. Yeah. So I'm sure the Philadelphia TV stations are, are, are covering it. If they start getting a sense that what they are doing may have a material effect on the election and how would that work? It would work because, you know, the ring counties around uh, Philadelphia, particularly uh, uh, Montgomery and I think Allegheny, I'm trying to remember uh, uh, not Allegheny. Anyway, Montgomery, and there's a county with a D. I can't remember the names. Anyway, they, they're basically, they were like 5838 Hillary Trump in, you know, in 2016. If Trump could get back, and they're, they're huge voting, like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people vote there. If Trump could get back 4%, like if he could, if his vote total could increase, you know, by by ten, by overall by ten percent, get up say from thirty eight to forty two, could that be the sort of thing that could turn the tide for him in Pennsylvania? Sure, if the election is really close. Right now, by the way, the polling says it's not going to be particularly close. But so uh, the yeah, need, I want to caution that this yeah. could be the wish fathering the thought. This has been going not, on for I, a long. I don't time. have a wish here. But, well, I'm just letting yeah. everybody know in the yeah. audience, we've been privy to this sort of violence now for four months, and we have zero evidence that it has any material effect on the state of the presidential race. Yeah, but we didn't yeah. have violence. We didn't have violence as people are voting and six days before the vote. Okay, so Which, like I said, oh, all right, so this so this is going to have the appreciable effect. It's not going to have an effect on the polls. People aren't going to say anything about it. They're just going to quietly cast their ballot against Joe Biden as a result of looting and rioting in Philadelphia. There's no evidence to suggest that is the case. It is no, the there isn't. Hope. It is the fondest hope of the right that this kind of more, this kind of violence could be attributed to the Democratic Party and Joe Biden by extension. It has not been, and there has been a lack of analysis on the right as to why that is the case. Joe Biden is not associated with this chaos as much as the Republicans and conservatives have tried to tether him to it. It has failed. Right. Well, okay. So provide some of that analysis. Because Joe Biden is nominally opposed to this sort of thing. Now, conservatives, especially plugged in conservatives, say, well, he doesn't do enough to denounce it. And he doesn't. And he surrounded himself with people who countenance it. And he has. But in the minds of general election voters who aren't sitting by their computers 24 hours a day, internalizing every piece of political news that comes down the pike, Joe Biden represents a bulwark against this sort of impulse on the progressive left. That is his brand. And Republicans have not tethered, has not tarnished his brand. His brand has 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 managed to be with him throughout the state of the throughout the course of the race, even during the primaries and well into the general. 
I don't want to be his brand manager. I don't want to be his brand manager if he wins because that that brand is going to take a hit. (laughs) Because this is not going to end after the election. Maybe it dies down briefly, but it's not going to end after the election. And Donald Trump is not responsible for it, which means his 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 removal from office will not be will not ameliorate it. Will not be its remedy. And eventually, not too long down the pike. If, especially if Democrats have total control of all the levers of power in Washington to say nothing of these states where all this violence is happening in the first place, there is going to be a real backlash and a real resentment against Democrats who have been far too lax, their policies have been far too lax, and therefore have encouraged this sort of thing. And Republicans have a lot of opportunities in that world, but it has to be a world without Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the chaos candidate. Chaos okay, does not benefit Republicans as a result. Okay, let's talk about this whole notion of the shy Trump vote. If there is a shy Trump vote, though, Noah, this is where it manifests itself. If there's a Bradley effect, if there's a shy Brexit vote, this is how it manifests itself. People who live in Bryn Mawr and, you know, uh, uh, King of Prussia and places like that who kind of don't want to vote for Biden and who live around people who hate Trump and they themselves don't particularly like Trump, and something like this happens, and 25,000 of them at the last minute shift their vote without ever indicating to a pollster that they ever had this intention. That's how a shy Trump vote works. It's not tens of millions of people. That's the mistake that people are making. It is this question of whether in razor-thin votes, in, in, in margins in states where you know, where Trump could win by five or 10,000 votes if if the race is really close, that that vote could show up. And that, I'm telling you, is is the sort of thing that might be making Democrats nervous. I mean, that's why they have the media uh, echo chamber about it, the sort of the sort of quasi blackout of too much talk about it. Right. Whereas, whereas, of course, the other way of looking at it is if it's no if it's actually no danger to Biden, why would you not cover it? It's urban violence in the middle of a major American city. That's the definition of news. That is what news is. News but you is know not, why they're not covering know. it, because as you've said yeah. just a couple of minutes ago, they're consumed with irrational paranoia. Right. It is not paranoia that is fueled by any objective metric that we can cite. Right. But the paranoia speaks to something, right? I mean, fine. So it's it's Lucy in the foot. It's Charlie Brown saying, I'm not doing it again. You're not getting my hopes up again. I'm not going to believe it again. And then they're going to run up and kick the football and she's going to pull the football away again, right? Well, That's- I mean, look, the, I think the media know this much, which is that um, in public opinion, the um, image of Black Lives Matter and of this cause and of demonstrations has plummeted. Um, it is not where it was in May and June. Um, it suffered a very steep drop in um, support. So if, the, if that doesn't um, sort of mobilize a, a shy Trump vote, um, uh, then it is, as it, in line with Noah's analysis, it is particularly... Um, a, a failure of the Trump side of this, that, that they couldn't capitalize this thing that was moving in real time, that, that, that the, the, the fortunes of sort of the Trump 
administration's enemies were plummeting before them and they couldn't put this to their own advantage would right. be extraordinary. I mean, I mean, we you can go back in time and wonder at what, poss- what possible avenues could have been taken to change the course of this and to for Trump to have harnessed it to his advantage. And one of the ways that he could have done it was to have been serious about it instead of unserious, right? He could have literally said, we need to call a meeting at the White House of the governors, this and that, and the mayors, and we're all going to sit together and come up with a strategy, whether, you know, or I'll fly there and we'll have a meeting there. You know, I'm not going to bring the National Guard. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing whatever. I'm not going to deploy anybody, but we're going to, like, talk about this because this can't go on. And then make them say, I won't meet with you. You're being, you're crazy. I won't meet with you when he, when his message is not necessarily crazy. Instead, you know, he, again, as Noah says, like he references it without explaining it. He goes at it jugular before he establishes the, you know, the, the, the range of attack and the, mm-hmm. and, the, and, the, and the background of the attack or something like that. Or there was no way for it to happen. And there was no way for Trump ever to get uh, his message out, except in the way that we will say he managed to get his message out if next week the election goes the way we don't think it's going to go. Well, I mean, the criminal criminal justice issues and violent crime issues resonate more with Republican voters than other voters. It is still a resonating issue, um, a resonant issue, rather. But it's nobody's top issue. Top issue for Republicans is... Um, is the economy followed by uh, violent crime for Democrats? It's COVID followed by the economy. Um, but what Donald Trump did to blow this thing, in my view, is twofold: one, overpromise and underdeliver. He promised to end this sort of violence in cities. Did not discuss the constitutional limitations on the executive that prevent him from doing that. So he's, he promises he's going to end this stuff, has uh, agents around federal property, which is all he has jurisdiction over. And guess what? The violence doesn't end. Um, so for everybody expecting Donald Trump to make good on his pro- his promises, which wasn't us, but it was a lot, of pro- a lot of people probably in his camp, they're disappointed because he failed to generate or failed to deliver on that promise. And then the second part is that he's um, viewed, and I've written about this on a couple of times, less as a force for law and order than as an an agent of the kind of chaos that we've been witnessing in American politics for four years. And if this is another species of chaos, then this is just another part of the Trump era. And that he just has been unable to shake that view in people and conservatives in particular should be really frustrated by how abandoned they are in this moment because they are sacrificed to this mob. They do not have I'm telling you, the the interesting thing about this as a political science experiment, what's happening right now in Philadelphia, if it doesn't stop and it may not stop, right, is uh, where things are now versus where they will be a week from now. I don't mean politically. We will know whether or not the law and order and crime message or whatever got through and had an effect or it won't. Mm Mm-hmm. Whereas in July or, you know, when stuff happened in Kenosha, the only way you could judge that is by polling and the polling didn't show a shift toward Trump. And so we said, ah, it's not working. But again, it only needs to work in a close election. This may not be a close election. It only needs to work on the margins. It only needs to get a couple of thousand people here and a couple of thousand people there and a couple of thousand people somewhere else 
And in a state that he won by 22,000, where Democrats have made up 22,000 votes, pulling a different 22,000 voters either out of the woodwork or having them flip without telling anybody could be the kind of thing that we look back on and say, yes, there was a shy Trump vote, but we are not going to know that. This is all errant speculation. It's not going to show up in the polling. It can't show up in the polling because these are people who might get polled and who would lie because they are not comfortable with the choice that they're making. They're not proud of it, but they want to do it. Anyway, but let's move on. Need yeah. One second, though. You don't just need depressed or rather energized uh, Republicans or shy Republicans to recreate 2016. You need depressed Democrats. That's what I'm talking about. Right. We have no evidence that Democrats are depressed. What They're so terrified no. of losing. They're, they're no, talking. No, no. You're thinking about voting. partisan Democrats. I'm talking about less ideological people who aren't them who are looking at the riots and saying, I don't like this. And yeah, maybe blaming, you know, may, may say at all things being equal, those guys are kind of on the side of the rioters and those guys are on the side uh, of, of law enforcement. That's all I'm saying. Let's move on, though. Let's go on. But before we move on, you know what? I'm going to stop, pull off, pull onto the side here and talk to you about our uh, our advertiser today, our sponsor today, the Jordan Harbinger Show. You heard me talk about it earlier in the week. Very different kind of sponsor. It's a podcast, The Jordan Harbinger Show, which Apple named one of its best of 2018. It's aimed at making you a better informed, more critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening. There's an episode for everyone. The show covers stories like how a professional art forger somehow made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and the media. An episode about birth control and how it can alter the partners we pick, how going off on, on the pill can change elements of personalities. You could listen to H.R. McMaster talking about the fight to defend the free world. You can talk about uh, Ray. You can talk, hear Ray Dalio, the great hedge fund manager, talk about principles of investing. It covers a lot, but one constant is Jordan's ability to pull useful pieces of advice from his guests. You'll find something you can apply to your own life, whether that's a routine change that boosts your productivity or just a slight, slight tweak in your perception that changes how you see the world. So go to jordanharbinger.com or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we thank The Jordan Harbinger Show for sponsoring the Commentary Magazine podcast. Okay, last night on the most watched show on cable news, uh, Tucker Carlson tonight, uh, Tucker had on Tony Bobulinski, the the guy who is uh, backing, a, who is the recipient of some of the famous Hunter Biden and Biden family emails from 2017. Nothing about Ukraine. This is all about China. This is all about a business that Hunter Biden and apparently his uncle Robert uh, were going to uh, d- do in China. Uh, and, uh, there's this whole question about whether or not Joe Biden is somehow implicated because Tony Bobolinsky met Joe Biden. And we, there are two stories here. One of which is the story that Bobolinsky himself tells. And then there is the coverage of Bobolinsky and the interview and the stuff that he has revealed so far in the media. So if we can separate those out, I'm just going to start and say, I am not convinced by the story that Tony Bobolinsky tells. I note that the pro-Trump media 
are referring to him as a Navy veteran and an entrepreneur and a, you know, a, a noble, you know, sort of like a noble whistleblower. Uh, Tony Bobolinsky is a porn merchant. He ran a porn site uh, in Asia that was then bought by Adult Friend Finder, uh, a, a network of a network of, uh, of porn sites. And so, uh, you know, uh, he is not exactly, uh, you know, a sterling example of, you know, he can be a whistleblower. Everything he says can be true. But, you know, uh, burnishing his reputation by failing to mention, and by the way, you could actually use this to your advantage if you're trying to tell an anti-Biden story by saying, look at the company that Hunter Biden and his uncle were keeping. Like, what the hell is going on? This is the only guy they could find in Asia to go do business with, you know, like a porn merchant. Is this is this serious? Like that that's one way of handling it. That's not the way they're handling it. They're like lionizing him and elevating him. It's like he's kind of like a right-wing Avenatti and I don't think that that's really uh, the best way to go. Uh but he's got these emails and I'm not convinced by the story. Like his main story is he meets Biden and Biden says you better take care of my family. That's his main story when he meets Biden. And to me, you could read that just as easily as Biden's got this sick son. He's got terrible problems. He's got drug abuse problems. He's a ne'er-do-well. Things are terrible with him. And he is meeting this guy and saying, you better take care of my family, meaning don't you make things worse for my son. I just lost my other son. I'm, I'm putting you on warning. You know, don't screw around here just as easily as saying, take care of my family, meaning let's make a great deal and give me all the money that is coming from China. So if the media were willing to cover this story properly instead of blacking it out, the media could raise these very same things that I just raised and bring up questions about Bobolinsky's sincerity, his his career, and and what the actual sort of things that he is revealing might actually say about Biden and say that they don't necessarily implicate Biden anyway. So that's where I am. Abe, well, where, where are you? But I, th- I mean, I'm, I'm essentially in the same place that you are. Um, but I have to say, I think I think if the media's plan to ignore the stuff has worked out perfectly fine for them and for Biden, um, because um, I don't think people generally care about this story outside of um, conservative and right-wing precincts. I think, I think the, the sort of clamp down, the, the silent treatment has worked to their advantage. I, I don't know that they need to um, sort of make the case for, for Biden's innocence here. I think that they've been more successful just ignoring it. I think it's a testament to just how much of a chaos agent Donald Trump is that this story doesn't, even if it were being widely covered, I agree with Abe, I don't think it would get that much traction in part because it's actually would be a return to the petty corruption that is unfortunately all too uh, normal in Washington, D.C. So if you vote for Biden, this will continue. This is, this is how things were always done. In fact, Donald Trump was in some ways a reaction to that way of doing business in Washington, even as he himself is happy to enrich his own family members now that he has power. But I do think that that I agree that I don't, it doesn't appear to be anything criminal. It's just seamy and corrupt. And I actually don't believe that he was saying, oh, you know, that he just met this total stranger who's obviously a business, 
a potential business partner for his son and that he was trying to be protective. I think he, that's just how you do deals with people like this when you're someone whose proximity to power brings those kinds of people into your orbit. I think it doesn't speak well of Biden's judgment that he you know, had meetings with these sorts of people, but it is what happens on both sides of the aisle for anyone who had who reached that level of professional success in Washington. Really? I mean, yeah. that's, this is not a petty corruption allegation. This is a profound well, corruption it's, allegation. It's true, right? If it's true, yeah. No, I mean, what it's quite obvious now from what we've read from the New York Post and the emails that Kim Strassel got and the Daily Caller. Now, all pointing to very clear, explicit effort on the part of Hunter Biden to leverage his family's name for personal financial gain because he brought nothing else to the table. That's pretty darn well established. What's being alleged is whether by conservatives who have not proven the case is that Joe Biden was either a tacit or active participant in an effort to work with Chinese government owned contractors and and profit off um, Chinese government uh, investments. That's that's a that's a serious allegation. The the gravity of that allegation requires commensurate evidence, right. and they haven't been able to marshal it. So that does speak to at least the the press's reticence to to talk about these issues without the the evidence being in their hands. Yeah, but then, but then but then but then of course the Trump partisans would say, yeah, where was the evidence for the Steele dossier? And they published the Steele dossier. Where was you know where is the evidence for the this? evidence for Donald Trump's tax returns? We got a new tranche of that yesterday. Yeah, sure. Which is why the social media companies are in the dock right now, and deservedly right. so. Right. But if the if the, we're not if we're indicting the media, that's an easier job than indicting Joe Biden. Which I is not look, done. right. I I I agree with that, and I think that the Hunter Biden story is. Um, very indicative of the way politics works and has always worked. To be fair, to be fair, this is a millennia-old problem of the shiftless son of a powerful man whose behavior causes him no end of agita. I mean, you want to go back to Machiavelli's The Prince? Uh, Machiavelli's The Prince is a, is a letter addressed to the illegitimate son of Pope Alexander VI, Cesare Borgia, and and uh, uh, you know who is somebody who uh, Machiavelli was trying to help channel uh, his um, uh, general personal misbehavior into uh, more profitable and and uh, more uh, meaningful pursuits. Let's just say that's you know six centuries ago or something like that. You know, you can go back to King David and everybody like that. Like this is this is an age old story of uh power uh down down the generations. And to somehow, you know, say that this is a u- unique to Biden would be preposterous. It's not to say that it isn't worth discussing. What matters is this idea that is being retailed that Joe Biden was somehow uh, agreeing to be in the pay in some fashion of the Chinese Communist Party. That is what Tony Bobulinski is alleging. Uh, I want to give you one other example of something that he said that I do not believe is true, because it, it does not pass the smell test for me. Bobulinski said that Robert Biden said to him that we need, quote, plausible deniability, unquote. That phrase, as you may remember, is uh, derives from Watergate, and it was this idea that we need plausible deniability. The White House had no role in the Watergate burglary. I can't remember if it was Halderman or Ehrlichman who said it, and um, or or somebody else. Uh, 
no person is going to use the phrase plausible deniability unironically uh, who is Robert Biden's age in 2017. See, it is not going to happen. I, I, I totally disagree. This oh, is, really? this is, but this is just a sort of take on humanity. Like, I think when when you when you stumble upon details that seem too preposterous and, and sort of stupid on an individual level, um, I, my experience is those are actually true. Okay. Well, so again, worthy of coverage, worthy of sure, discussion, right, either worthy way. of public yeah. exposure. Um, but remember, we literally have a single source and some suggestive emails. The emails, by the way, count as another source. You can't say that Bobolinsky is the only voice because we do have emails that no one is denying the validity of from Robert Biden and various and, and Hunter and, and, and all of that. Um, Again, uh, worthy of discussion. Uh, but I think Christine's right, or I mean, you guys are right. Like, it's worked, right? It's worked. Well, it's worked, and it's not just that they won't cover the story. It's that anytime it bubbles up from, say, a conservative media outlet or or somewhere outside the mainstream, the response is, "Well, Hunter Biden's not on the ballot." I've seen that snarky thing over and over again. Like, this isn't merely about Hunter Biden. And I actually think, unlike the Ukraine Burisma stuff, where the policy position that Biden was in charge of pursuing actually didn't make sense with regard to the allegations being made about Burisma, in this case, his policies align pretty closely with what's being alleged here. I mean, he's he's much more... Uh, pro-China than Trump is, just in general. And we we will likely see a foreign policy shift, a dramatic one, uh, if Biden is elected. So in that sense, I, it, it does pass for me the smell test of like, let's just see China as a kind of amiable competitor uh, versus what we actually know China is and should be treated as. Um, so in that sense, I do, I do think it deserves more scrutiny um, than some of the Burisma stuff. Uh, and more investigation, but we are not going to see a bit of that in the next six days. Right. So, uh, I think we have come to the end of our discussion today. So we are many minutes shorter than we usually are, but maybe that's a good thing. Maybe we should see a few people enjoy us being more pithy. Um, and maybe we'll see if we can be as pithy as this tomorrow. So for Abe, Noah, and Christine, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.